Hey moms, I'm Stephanie Donovan and this is Modern Domestic Moms, a podcast where we discuss our mama mania, sharing our perceptions and insights as we relate to you and the moms around us. So go ahead, fill your glass and join in with us on our weekly conversation. Because mom ain't easy and you don't have to do it alone. Come sip with us. Welcome to episode 26. This week we are finally putting our mic where our mouth is to talk wine with Allie Craig. But first, let's do some housekeeping. Please keep the conundrums coming in. We are lining them up for future episodes and we definitely want yours included. Also remember you can write to us at moderndomesticmompodcast at gmail.com if you have a show idea or question. Also, come hang out with us at MDM the Pod on Instagram because that's where all of the fun happens. We have a new review this week from Wendy who writes, Honest and lovely. Honest, down-to-earth conversation that feels like chatting with your best mom friends. Well, Wendy, we think you're honest and lovely too. Please be like Wendy and rate us and write us a review on Apple and we will read it on the show. Plus, if you've noticed, Apple has done some funky stuff with their podcast app. So you can follow the show now. It's not called subscribe, I think. But please keep sharing the podcast with your friends. You can still do that. Tag us in your posts on Instagram. We want to keep growing. And now we're ready to introduce Allie. Allie is a good friend of mine. She is the Vice President of Chain Retail at Winebow, with nearly 10 years of experience in wine and spirits. She's also the mom to a little boy, Kellen's age, named Dean. And they are running around the house somewhere. (laughs) Not my problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. It's Scott's problem. Allie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So Allie, we are ready to have some fun with wine. I am ready to have some fun with wine. So can we talk about what we're sipping? Maybe we'll start with that. These four lovely bottles that you've brought me. Allie is like my favorite guest because no one else has brought me four freaking bottles of wine. She's throwing down. Let it be known. It's always time for wine. So (laughs) first of all, we're going to start with some crisp Pinot Grigio. We love the pour. Let me top you off. I mean, really, there's nothing too much to talk about with this wine. I mean, so we have Crispino Grigio, Sean Miner Sauvignon Blanc, Bowen Pinot Noir, and the Catena Malbec from Argentina. So a little bit of everything, a little bit from all over the world. So Italian Pinot Grigio, California Sau Blanc, California Pinot Noir, and then the Argentinian Malbec. So. I'm already impressed. We're going to do a worldwide event here. We're, we're traveling the world <laughs> with our wines. Winemaker notes on the crisp Pinot Grigio with enticing aromas of acacia flowers, lime, tangerine, and hints of apricots and almonds. Crisp Pinot Grigio is bold but clean and refreshing on the palate and offers a long finish tinged with orange blossom and honey. Well, you know more about that wine than I do. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> truly, this is not like a romantic story of a winemaker, none of that. They created this brand for our internal supplier called Winebow Imports, but it's just really delicious, inexpensive. You can generally get it from like $9.99 to $12.99, give or take, but a great summer pairing with most things, and I had it the other day with a salmon asparagus dish that was amazing, just saying. The Pinot Grigios kind of freak me out. I, I'm not a super, I try to be more white in summer, but the Pinot Grigios are just so harsh sometimes, but what weirds me out about the description is all the fruit. 
So are they supposed to be like super fruity? I mean, the orange, the tangerine, the apricot, the this, the that. It seems like a lot going on, kind of like a high C. So are they supposed to be like that? No. So, no. <laughs> it's, it's a general rule of thumb, though. Like once you go past like three or four descriptors, it's basically BS. For the, like, for like, you know, a normal palette, right? Like I don't have, I'm not a master sommelier. I do know why. Gosh, darn it. This you know, podcast is over. Basically. So, <laughs> but I did. I worked with several master sums. And you know what? There's bougie wines. There's inexpensive wines. And really, it's just like, what do you like? Does it taste good? And you can go through some descriptors. I usually get lime off of this wine, but all that other stuff, it's like. You don't really get that. No. They could save so much on their copywriting. Do they know about this? I know. I think, honestly, it's <laughs> like all about... four things. Just four. <laughs> it's just about, like, it's just an easygoing, refreshing wine. There's nothing too crazy about it. But Pinot Gris just can be a thing. So, again, if you're familiar with Pinot Gris, it's the same grape, but that's what we call it here, and they're, like, cousins of each other. Same thing with Pinot Noir is actually a cousin to Pinot Grigio, even really? though it's a red and white grape. So there's like all this like incestual nonsense with grapes, you know. Incestual nonsense is the first hashtag of this podcast. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> That's the thing. is like wine doesn't have to be snobby. And yeah, it's better when it's not. And I basically think. you're speaking multiple languages all the time and understanding where they come from. Like, for example, this is Sauvignon Blanc. But in France, Sancerre is the area of the world, but those are all Sauvignon Blancs. So like in America, we like to name the wines by their actual varietals, where in other countries, it's by the place they come from. Not confusing at all. Wow. Like Montepulciano. Yes. Is the Montepulciano grape, but also the Montepulciano area. You know? Oh. Okay. Yeah. And we don't say like (laughs) Napa grape or the... Exactly. Like it's Cab, right? Right. Or it's Chardonnay from Napa. Right. So, yeah, but if you don't know those things, you don't generally know what you're drinking unless you have the palate where you're like, oh, I can blind taste this. I know what this is, right? And there's certain wines where there's, I mean, whether it's the person's name, the varietal, and or the area it comes from, if you don't know those things offhand, you're like, what am I drinking? Italians like to do that. Oh, the worst. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those names are very long. They're very complicated and convoluted, but delicious wine. But del- <laughs> complicated, but delicious. <laughs> So this, yeah, it says it's bottled by Chris Montagna from Italy and then imported by Winebow. I did not know that. There's your company right there. Right? Let me give you a little history lesson. Okay. I know this was not on the agenda tonight, but. (laughs) (laughs) So there's the three-tier system, right? You have someone who makes the wine, someone who distributes the wine, which is where I sit, and then there's the, not the end consumer, but the offer on-premise person, right? So a bar, restaurant, or retail facility. Okay. And legally speaking, since Prohibition, you have to have all three. Wow. So, you know, you can't just have a winemaker that's like, I'm going to sell directly to this restaurant. Like, you have to have that middle tier. It's all about taxes. It's all about making money. The business. It's all about the business. Pre-Prohibition, the government was actually, there was no income tax. All the money was coming from breweries. So when Prohibition happened, the government, their whole cash cow dried up, right? So after Prohibition was no mas. Really, it just came down to, like, how do we make more money? And also, how do we deter people from drinking? So they thought if they added tiers that were all taking their cut right. and driving up the cost, sure. right, this is a nine ninety nine wine, we're probably importing it for $3. I was going to say, what does it cost to Right. <laughs> I don't know the exact cost, but it is. It's really, I mean, it's shocking. Like, everyone's taking between 25 and 30% along the lines on top of all the taxes and the import costs and all X, Y, and Z, right? Yeah. But yeah, legally speaking, you have to have all three tiers. And really they thought, okay, well, if something is $3 cost and no one's going to buy it for $15, but if they do, we're making money along the way. 
that did not deter anybody from drinking. In fact, I think people are drinking more than ever. So, (laughs) and I get to maintain my job, which is nice. Um, But yeah, so you have to have all three. So I work for a distributor, which like right in the middle of that three tier system. Wow. And if it was served at a restaurant, it would be $30. Uh, and then some, yeah. Because <laughs> they can just add whatever the fuck they want. Oh, yeah. I mean, general rule of thumb is it's about three times the three cost times, for yeah. one glass. Or no, sorry, for a bottle. Right. Give or take. Then you would just pay at a store. Amazing. So, yeah, $10 bottle wine is definitely like 30-ish on a, like a wine menu. And magically, it tastes more expensive. Of course. <laughs> it's the ambiance. It's the allure. <laughs> let's do one more and then get into your questions. Sure. Well, let's pour Put another little nibble. this guy down. Crack that puppy open. So this is the Sean Miner Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, we recently picked this up. I'm super happy with this portfolio. They're beautiful wines, inexpensive, you know, family-owned winery. It's him and his wife that own this winery. Um, they have four children. She does not look like she's had four children. Oh, they I'm never do. I'm extremely jealous. Um, and I think most of them are going to go into the business with them. But wow, really small winery. Like, And I think they have a couple people that work for them. But considering the amount of wine that they make, it's pretty incredible. So it's a California, Sean Miner, S-E-A-N, SeanMinerWines.com if you want to check it out. Um, Here's what Sauvignon Blanc is all about. It is a golden straw color and displays aromas of lime, orange blossom, melon, grass, and a touch of tropical fruit notes. I love when they put in... Are you serious? (laughs) Absolutely. Like, Like California Sauvignon Blanc's grass is a very typical... Like, I mean, smell that... Okay, well, you've put me on the spot. I don't have a sense of smell. So I wish oh, touche, touche. <laughs> I would love to fake it, but I'm not good at faking it. Well, I will tell you. It but it's just like funny grass. when they're like lawn clippings. On the entry, the juicy grapefruit acidity integrates well with a medium body, mid palate, mouth feel. Oh, this is very advanced. The kiwi, green apple, and peach flavors evolve into a hint of minerality that adds complexity to the finish. I really like it when they tell you what to look for at the end. I'm like obsessed with how a wine finishes because mm-hmm. if it just drops off, it Dissipates. feels like, yeah, it feels cheap to me. It is. Like it's I terrible. love when they're on the palate and there it, there's a nice, like a nice clean finish. So let's see if that does this. 100%. And that is, that's like, you know, a big thing when you're actually, so like if you actually look at the, I don't know what you call it anymore. There's an actual form that you fill out, right? When you're blind tasting, you're trying to figure out what it is and you're deducting, there's a deduction sheet. That's what that is. You can see, like, what's the acidity? What color is it? Is it, you know, there's different colors of yellow. What's the mouthfeel? And all those different things. Then you deduct down to what am I drinking if you didn't know what you're drinking. But all those things come along with, like, tasting wine. And the finish is huge, right? Because It is very nice. You're like, I pay for this wine. I want it to last. Yeah. Where it belongs, which is my mouth. <laughs> all right, let's get into you. Your current situation. Okay, so tell me about your experience with wine and how you got into it. I don't think anybody just, like... I mean, there's definitely people that decide to go into the wine industry. I think most of us fall into it haphazardly. Or You weren't born there? We weren't born there. I wasn't born into some family in Napa or Sonoma. No. I am a suburbanite of Chicago. We do not have beautiful vines here. No. So I graduated from NIU with a marketing degree, but I graduated in December of 2008, which was a really good time in the economy to graduate, right? Everything fell apart. I actually remember walking into my professor's lecture hall. It's like my last semester, right? It's 8 a.m. And he just goes around and said, you are all effed. And I'm like, whoa, it is 8 a.m. What has happened in the world? And I'm like, you know, 20 years old and I don't read the news. I graduated with no prospects of a job. 
And I'm like, okay, I have a general marketing degree. Where do I take this? So yeah. I took it to South Korea and taught English for almost a year because that's where a job was. It was awesome. Don't get me wrong. It yeah. was awesome. Smart. It was good. But my boyfriend, now husband, was like, you need to come home. I'm like, okay. So I came home. He, what, he, didn't, he wasn't with you. <laughs> no, he wasn't with me. Oh, then he, yeah, he wanted you home. <laughs> fine. I'll come home. That's fine. We'll make a life together. <laughs> So I came home and I ended up in a job where I was selling educational language programs. Okay. So it sort of made sense. I had a marketing degree. It was okay. It was all right. And my mom actually is married to a Binnie's wine manager. And he was like, listen, there's this new company starting and they're looking for people that want to be in sales. You don't necessarily have a lot of experience. Like, do you want me to submit your resume? I was like, that sounds cool. Opportunity. Opportunity. That's fine. Um, long story short, I had six years of experience after that. I worked at a place called Tenzing Wine and Spirits. Driving from St. Charles to the West Loop was not the most awesome, oh. but, <laughs> but I mean, amazing portfolio. We, it was a company of like maybe 25 people, three master psalms worked there. Wow. There's 130 in the world and three of them worked at my company, right? Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. There's 130 super, in the world. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what it's at right now. And if you have ever a chance, there's a documentary called Som, S-O-M-M, on Netflix, if you've ever seen it. Oh, I'm going to write that down. And it's about these, it follows, I want to say it was like three guys who are trying to pass the Master Som exam. And it's their whole process, and you can see how intense this is. Crazy. Um, and it, it is. It's really crazy what they have to know. I mean, it's you have to know history. You have to know geography. You have to know different languages. It's just, it's crazy. And, and then have taste. an amazing smell, yes, right? exactly. Um, so I did. I had an amazing experience there. I actually then was pregnant, and I'm like, how am I supposed to drive down to the West Loop with a newborn and <sighs> be in sales? And long story short, Aldi actually came knocking on my door, and they poached me. And they're like, hey, we need someone with distributor experience. Mm-hmm that can come help us with our wine distribution across the country. It was an okay year. I missed sales. I missed actually being in the wine industry. So then I moved into another distributor. And then from there, I am now in my current job as a VP running this retail division at Winebow. So that's sort of like long story short, 10 years. That's how I got there. That's amazing. And all from that beginning opportunity. Right? They're just and like, did you fall in love with the industry? Or did you kind of just like... Okay, well, now the next and best thing is being offered to you. Right. Well, I did. I actually, I when I was out of it for basically a year, um, which I was technically in it, it was not the same thing. I did. I was like, I miss being in the know. I miss like yeah. learning about what's cool and what's, you know, trending or all these different things and being able to taste, whether it was wine or whiskey or whatever. But yeah, I like, I just love it. I will say though, my title sounds fancy. No one gets rich in my industry. Let's just put it that way, right? But we eat, drink, and travel like no other. Hey, pays for itself that way. I'm just saying, I've had some beautiful trips to Italy and Spain. I'm and a great assistant to the vice president. I'm just saying. And like Michelin star <laughs> restaurants that I can never afford and or even just get, you know, reservations for or see yeah. these places. And like, that's why we stay. It's not the money. That's why it's called <laughs> wine and dine. So... We've actually had a female winemaker on the show before, and we do know that, you know, being a female executive, as you are in the liquor industry, isn't always expected and not always easy. Have you had challenges as far as that's concerned? Like, do you work with like a mostly male base or? 100%. Okay. So what's that like? I wouldn't say that it's, I I was very lucky that where I started from was a, I would say out of like the... 20-ish people in the actual sales and like office roles, 
everyone, it didn't matter, right? Like we were this very close knit group of people and it didn't matter if you were gay or a woman or even a transgender person. It was diverse. It was very diverse. And it was, I'm not saying everyone loved everybody as far as like personalities. Sure. (laughs) But we all respected each other and I came from a really good place there. But I do remember, so we were attached to a bigger company and I had to go do a, I don't want to say it was a training, but it was something along the lines of diversity. And I sat in this room and I'm the only woman in, I don't know, the 30 people in this room, right? And I don't know if you realize this, but in Illinois, the big companies for distributors are actually unionized. So there's a lot of dudes that have jobs that have been in there for like 30 years. Protected jobs. And I just remember, I can't remember what the comment was, but I was just like horrified. Oh, it's something that was said? Yes. And it was something like, if you are out to dinner outside of work, but you're with work people, right? And as a manager, if there's women in the room or something along the lines of that, like, is it okay to say X? And the guy was like, yeah, I'm outside of work. I say what I want about X. I was like, okay, here Uh. we go. And actually what's less so internally, but as a salesperson, there's something called third-party harassment. And that's actually where I found more of the issues, right? And as like a young, I mean, I started when I was like 25 and I'm a young woman calling on these accounts, trying to make a name for like a new company and trying to get our, you know, products into certain accounts that's where I found the biggest, like, I want to say hurdles, but definitely uncomfortable conversations. Third party harassment, meaning. So that- like, as like, I'm a salesperson, I don't work for that company, but somebody in that company is sexually harassing me. Oh. Yeah. So there was a lot of that. Um, I mean, we had a lot of conversations after, like, when we finally realized that that's a real thing, converse like, conversations with their HR, getting yeah. things fixed. Plus, you're probably, like, evening dinners, you're a young, hot girl, she is hot, ladies and gentlemen, and so you probably had to deal with that shit. Yeah, so that's really more so where I found hurdles as far as, like, I shouldn't say in my career, because I, I realized very early on the only person that's going to look out for you is you, yeah. right? I clawed for every raise, every promotion, every anything, and I just learned to be that way. Because generally speaking, when I'm in the room of executives or people of, you know, my level, uh-huh. I'm one out of 15, and the rest of them are men, right? Right. The 14 of them are men. They're all just, I will say, our industry is not diverse by any means just a bunch of white guys yeah so and they're not bad that's not what i'm saying but it's you know you are you just i generally have to be louder uh whatever i'm feeling as far as like if i have an idea i don't just hold back because you're run right over yeah you just gotta say what you need to do so and i actually remember the first week on my job at this job I was thrown into a ton of supplier meetings, right? Like the time of year we're planning for X, Y, and Z. And I I mean, I'd been in this company a week and I'm sitting in virtual rooms full of men. There's like 10 of us. And I just like was just right in there. And I remember getting a text from my SVP, right? So he doesn't actually manage me. It's broken up weird in my company, but he's like, man, I'm watching you. You're aggressive. I like that. I was like, well, what else am I going to do? Right? So I got to make your stamp. I like that. Yep. Yeah, I can see that about you. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I haven't found any like true issues outside of the customers you work out because they, it's not even women though, I should say. It's like anything in sales, they feel like you're not human and they sort of treat you as such. Interesting. But yeah. I did dress differently, actually. I think really? Like, I'm like, you know, I was 25 and when you know you dress cute when you're 25, I actually went the opposite way. Oh yeah. So I made sure that I was like, Covered up, uh-huh. shirts up to my neck, 
Like, yeah. if I had dresses, they were below my knees. I'm like, I don't want to invite anything. No, I get that. And you want to be taken seriously. When I was 22, I was teaching high school. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Scott would call it teacher close. Because right? it was like the buttoned up. But yeah, I mean, and you just have to be appropriate. But I mean, I was teaching kids who had who were 18. I was like, they're five years or four years it's younger unreal. than you. Yeah. yeah. I don't miss that. Um, <laughs> so if you are like sipping a beverage on a Friday night, is it wine or you work with wine so you don't want wine? Like what are you typically drinking? I don't uh, judge any alcohol. <laughs> equal opportunist. I am an equal opportunist, but I will say so my husband does not drink wine. So like generally speaking, yeah. I don't open a bottle because he's not drinking it, but he also makes some like very good old fashions. Okay. And he's obsessed with those. So I have old fashions a lot. Okay. I love beer. I do like whiskey. I'm. Let's be honest. You put it in front of me. I'm gonna drink it. That's so funny. Do you have like a favorite type of wine? Um, no. <laughs> no. You'll do red, white, anything. That's so funny because everyone kind of I feel like shifts towards a certain type and a certain acidity or whatever it is, and you just like them all. Yeah, it's open. I'll drink it. That's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. All right, let's do the Bowen, and then we're gonna talk about your favorite varietals because I'm so intrigued by varietals. Let's do this. So this is the Bowen Pinot Noir. So let me tell you about it. Bowen is a character-driven wine with a forward aromatic profile. You can smell it for us. And flavors of plum and cherry, a little bit of tobacco, and some tilled earth. Cheers. (laughs) Can you taste that? Oh, I forgot. We usually do a lot of cheersing. (laughs) Elizabeth always remembers the cheers. I always forget it. I, let's taste for the tilled earth, everyone. Absolutely. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, they call things, I mean, this one not specifically, but a lot of wines have barnyard. Are Ale- you serious? I've never seen that. Oh, and smell one. Taste no, you for the can't barnyard. smell it. No, it's a smell. Really? Yes. Not a good one, I would expect. Uh, no, people love it. Oh, <laughs> people are like, mmm, they smell the manure. They do, and they're like, mmm, barnyard, yes. I'm like, that's so weird. Do what you gotta do. But so this one. <laughs> I'm I'm assuming you're familiar with Mayomi. That's like, have you ever seen that bottle? Yes. Looks very similar the to this Pinot bottle. The Pinot Noir Mayomi, yeah. So Mayomi is probably one of the most widely recognized Pinot Noir brands, right? Um, I do not think it's actual Pinot Noir, if you've ever tried it. <laughs> what do you think it is? There's definitely some stuff in there. Some Kool-Aid? Some Kool-Aid. Well, so legally speaking, if it's from California, it only has to be 75% of a varietal to be called that varietal. Oh. So most... Most wines are not always 100%, right? You have sure. that 25% leeway. But so that was started by a company. Uh, their last name's Wagner. And Joey, who's like 35 maybe, started that with his family. And he sold it for a cool $300 million, give or take. Joey Wagner's doing well. He's doing well. And I found out he had six kids. I'm like, the man's 35. But his <sighs> ex-wife. Ex-wife. So I'm like, when were, the, when were these children? Yeah. But anyway, so he took that you know, very small amount of money and started a new company. <laughs> I just got that. I'm like, what? Just a, just a little bit of money um, called Copper Cane. So this Bowen is part of Copper Cane. They have a couple other brands. They directly compete with the brands that he sold. Um, oh, come on. Right? But I mean, this wine's actually quite delicious. Yeah, I really like it. And I don't love Pinot Noir. I, I like them like bold and strong and like in your face wine. But <laughs> this is good. Bowen, meaning farm, is a testament to grape growers and their know-how garnered over generations. There's your barnyard inference. Right. So this comes from three different counties. It's Monterey, Santa Barbara, and one other one. It's called called the Triap, so 
three Appalachians. AVAs. Yes, I forgot. When we went to California, they totally talked about the Appalachians. Yep. So there's American AVAs, and every country calls whatever it is different, right? Okay. Uh, so we have AVAs. There's like the DOCG in Italy. I'm drawing some blanks on some other things, but everyone calls their own stuff whatever they call it, right? Okay. Um, same thing with like organic. There's all different rules for wine, so it's not like one size fits all like this is organic or this is biodynamic or this is salmon safe like everybody has their own rules so it's kind of take it for what you want yeah um but this is actually like looking at the color like that's not super pinot noir no it's deeper right yeah. so i would say there's probably some saran here would be my guess something that gives it a little bit richer of a taste yep interesting but they don't claim that Mm-mm. it says pinot noir the bread, oh my God. But you know what? I love a red blend, which also that's what I wanted to get to is, are you a fan of maybe even like certain types? Equal opportunist. Yeah. You don't, you don't but like the thing is like, same thing. Like I, if it's a good wine yeah, and it's red, white, bubbles, whatever, I don't care what's in there. Do white really blend? I feel like red blend is pretty. No, there's definitely white blends. Really? Um, Yeah. I mean, all sorts of like, I mean, Italy has, I don't know how many indigenous grapes, right? And they're sorts of. All sorts of stuff in there. Um, yeah, no, there's a ton of white blends. But again, it doesn't have to be 100% to be called that varietal either. Okay. Whereas this has to be, doesn't have to be 100%. If you're actually looking at where it's from, when you actually call it from an area, it has to be 100%. Same thing with the vintage. So you can't have an actual vintage like 2019 unless the grapes are 100% from 2019. All right. Can you name some of the best out there that you think are like bang for your buck? Ones that you think are pretty inexpensive, but just like very good for what they are. Honestly, is a general sense, Spain is like bang for your buck. Yeah, like and it's it, a general area. Yes. And it was a much bigger, like it had a it, it had a nice bright shining spot about five years ago. Okay. But like Tempranillo, um, yes. Garnacha, all of these you I can get Garnacha. like so good and under 15 bucks. And I'm like, you're talking like really good quality wine. It makes a good, um, what am I thinking of? Sangria? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it makes a great sangria. Oh, yeah. And they just have so much wine coming out of that country. I don't know how they even make money sending it at those prices, considering, you know, California is, it's hard to find a good wine under $15, right? Yeah. But this is like traveling the ocean, and it's cheaper. Wow. I don't know. So, yeah, Spain's great. Um, we actually call, we sell a brand called Bogle, which I hadn't tried. Yes. Yeah, it's a big brand, and honestly, for like under $10, it's pretty banging for your money. It is. Bogle's very good. I forget what my favorite is. There's like a Syrah or something mm-hmm. that I love. Um, the Petite Syrah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the one. There's also, I love uh, Pennywise. I have not tried that one. Yeah. That's that, creepy though. I know. Oh, maybe I'm saying it wrong. It's Penny something. Pennywise, Pennyworth something. It's really good for what you pay for it. Now, what about ones that maybe you guys have that are definitely worth the splurge that are maybe more expensive, but you think are just outstanding? Again, not an actual brand, but champagne. Oh, yeah? 100%, but like true champagne. So I don't know if you realize, I don't know if you know this, but like champagne has to come from Champagne, France. Right. Not all sparkling wine does not include... You know, some of this other crap that they call champagne. I mean, like, true champagne is always worth the splurge. Wow. And brands that you'd recommend? <sighs> Dom Perignon. I actually don't like Dom. <laughs> oh, really? No, it's too I don't heavy. know if I've ever had it. No, it's not my favorite. Laurent Perrier is very good. Tatin J. 
uh, on Rio. If you can find any like really good, like look up the vintages, like 2008 was like a baller vintage. Oh, yeah. If you can find 2008 somewhere, that's pretty good. There you is, have to be in the mood for the bubbly. You have to be in the mood for the bubbly. And for the most part, like most champagne's pretty good. It's just like a varying scale of good. Sure. Right? Like, when you kind of taste a really good one, you know. Oh, absolutely. And champagne is like, the reason it's so good is the actual champagne region is terrible to grow grapes. It's just got like the crappiest soil on the planet, but the vines have to struggle so good. Yeah. And it just makes the best wine. Yes, just because they've gone through so much. Yep. It's like the concentration. Same with people. <laughs> right? <laughs> so then... This brings me to the question, like, let's say you're at a restaurant. Where's it good, now that we know that, like, a $10 bottle is going to cost us 30 what's a good, not to be totally, like, scammed and, like, buy the most expensive where you're going to be paying three times the price and it's not worth it, but, like, where do you, where do you go for level of your wine at a restaurant? Never is the answer. You just bring it? No, I just am horrified by how much people are being ripped off. Because you know Because I know the cost. So what and do you do? I, beer. I always go with beer. <laughs> I do. Because you <laughs> know what so you're great. getting, right? Like even a cocktail can be upsetting. Not the cost, the quality. And a lot of it has to do with ice. I cannot stand oh, it. Oh, when it's iced down? When they take like all that crunched up ice and they throw it in a glass and your cocktail's watered down in 14 seconds. Yeah. Unless I know that someone's really good at making it beer because i wow. know what i'm getting yeah every time i yep. can see that but yeah no wine mm-mm. you unless know it's too being, much unless it's being expensed no thank you <laughs> yeah if it's being expensed if it's not on my tier. yeah not my wallet but no sure. no and a lot of times it's like restaurants will buy uh inventory reduction so like close out wine not because it's bad it's just like we got to get things moving yeah so i know they're paying like five dollars a bottle pisses you off Ain't got time for that. <laughs> See, I'll usually go for like a thirty to forty dollar bottle if we're having like a nice dinner. Otherwise, I'll just get a glass of something. But I'll usually do like a red blend because I know the cab, the straight whatever, is not going to taste like straight. It's not going to be a good cab, right? So not I'll try to do point. just like yeah, a different blend of something. That's where I go. But I just love wine. Like I don't like other things right. as much. Well, and I will say too, the other thing is you know the big companies really own those lists. And actually, I hate that. I go into a restaurant and they have the most beautiful menu and the worst wine that sucks yes and i'm like really like i can think of a few around here that i won't call out but yes their food is great and their wine list is not like why would you not have a menu to match your menu you can tell they don't have someone on staff who knows wine or who doesn't want to spend it on the wine right but that's the thing is like you could get like the sean meyer you know sauvignon blanc and it wouldn't cost as much as you know kim crawford Right? Oh, yeah. It's the same price point. So it's just, I feel like it's lazy. (laughs) It is lazy. I feel like it's lazy. Now, are you distributing to restaurants too? No, so only chains. Okay. So, you know, the big ones around here, Jewel and Mariano's and Trader Joe's and, you know, Ooh, Trader Joe's does a great job with wine. Yeah, and actually I love them. They're great. Um, Because they have a really, yeah. Well, and so... This is probably too much information, but grocery chains, for the most part, only accept new items a couple times a year. 
So that's like, I mean, it's a big undertaking to put all these new wines in the sets. And, you know, Jewel's 180 stores. Like, you can imagine what that takes. Um, whereas Trader Joe's is like, what's going on? What's new? And they can plug in the pipeline, like, really fast and really easily. And so Trader Joe's always has, like, a really good selection. And it's always refreshed. And there's always new things in there. So I like Trader Joe's. Yeah, they are a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's bring it down to the mom wino. I shouldn't say down. Let's bring it up to the mom wino. (laughs) For summer, what are the best types of wines for us to have at the house for entertaining or just for like very warm patio nights? I feel like you're leaning towards whites and rosés, but it's really just what you like. Yeah. You know, like if you're not a fan of whites or rosés or bubbles and you love reds, have a red at home, right? I generally speaking, uh, granted, I have a lot of samples around, but you know, she does, <laughs> and she passes them around. I love spreading She's the wine the most love. Popular girl in the neighborhood, <laughs> but I mean, like, I mean, I always have some like inexpensive bottles around that people can pop open. They're probably like right in that mid palate. They're not too dry. They're not too sweet. But yeah, if you don't like red wines, because most red wines have tannins, which actually this one was not tannic at all. No. The Malbec definitely will be. People don't like that like puckering sensation of tannins. I love it. Exactly. So like if that's what you like, doesn't matter what season it is. Like that's what you want to drink. That's what you're going to. Right. Although it does make me hot the older I get. It's like (laughs) warm patio nights and I'm drinking like a tannic red and I'm like, it's hot. But you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with chilling your reds. Yeah, you know, I can chill a Pinot Noir. I cannot chill a cab. It seems sacrilegious. I remember we were we were actually in Venice on a wine trip, and I was with a co-worker. Love her. She's like the greatest person ever. We started on the same day. We're like almost the exact same age. Mm. Got married. She's great. And But she's like 90 pounds. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> and she was hammered. And I just remember we're in this like... She works in wine and she's easily hammered. That seems like it would be a prerequisite. Like no, no. you need to be able to drink your weight. No, she could definitely drink her weight. She oh. could drink more than me. And she did. <laughs> she definitely did. But no, so we're sitting there and we're in this like very, very warm restaurant. I mean, it is hot in there. It's like this small hole in the wall. Food is amazing. Yeah. But it's like 100 degrees. Ugh. And they're like, bring on, you know, the Brunellos and these like huge tannic red wines, you know. And we're throwing ice in them. But like throwing, <laughs> and we had this huge discussion on ice and wine. But if it needs it, it needs it. Yeah. You know? Interesting. It's like, whatever. You could throw a little ice in there just to chill it down. Which makes me think, and this is not on the list, but like, where are the most amazing places you've been for like business? Um, so I've been to actually, I think Italy was probably my most favorite. Where in Italy? We started in where did we start? It was Florence, and we worked our way up actually north. And the food is very different from south to north, right? It's basically different countries, not even south to north, like ten miles away. They wow. all consider themselves like their own little mini countries. And it's not pasta. It's not pizza. I mean, like, I had the most amazing, like, venison and, like, squid. And I don't even know. It's just, like, oh, so good. And when you get to the very top of Italy, it's the Alto Adige. It's on the border of Austria on the, you know, the the Alps right there. Okay. They basically consider themselves German, Austrian, Italian. Everything's in both languages. Wow. And it's just so beautiful. But it's so crazy because all the architecture is like Germanic, but the food is Italian and just, ah, gorgeous. I love it. It was amazing. That was one of the most fun trips ever. But I did do a roundabout like two week in Spain. That one, the food, not so good. Whereas, like, Italy, every place was different. All the food was, like, I mean, 
polar opposites of each other, Spain was like all the same. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, well, here's the jamón. Here's the prosciutto. Here's some goat cheese. But some of the sweetest people ever. And oh, my God, if you ever have a chance to travel there, it is dirt cheap. I mean, you literally stay in places where kings and queens stay for like $100 a night on the ocean oh, in the Mediterranean. Me really bad. Oh, it's my... The Mediterranean is gorgeous, right? Retirement plan. Oh, <laughs> you always say that. You're packing up and moving. I am. It's my place. Like, I can go stay there and live like a queen for like $30,000 a year. I'm doing it. That's my pitch. Everyone move to Spain. Everyone go to the Mediterranean. But well, if you watch those shows, like those beach house shows. Like, like the Mediterranean this Life? This is our budget. <laughs> yes, the Mediterranean Life. Oh my God, I love that show. Our budget is $350,000. We would like a three bedroom with... <laughs> right. Like, what? Yeah. Yes, but I want to go... But the grocery store is 80 miles away. I mean... I'll live off the food. land. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. Um, Get some chickens. <laughs> but I did... I love the Willamette Valley in Oregon. I love that you said, yeah, I did not know that it was Willamette, damn it. Uh-huh. Elizabeth taught me that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Willamette and everyone around County. here says Willamette, right? Because of yes, Willamette. <laughs> right. It's an <laughs> Illinois thing, but also because it looks like that when you uh-huh. read it. But yeah, that is cool. The Willamette's really beautiful. Oregon, right? Yep. I've been to California quite a few times. Tell me your favorites in California, because that's the one region that I actually know. I'm a, well, I won't tell you what I am. You tell me what you like first. I don't want to... So my favorite is the oysters in San Francisco. Oh, you like San Fran. So let me just tell you, right, because most of the time you fly into San Francisco to go to Napa, right? There is, if you drive an hour outside of San Francisco, it's called Tamales Bay. And it's this place, it's like one of the only last existing places that like the state doesn't own. And they're pulling oysters straight out of the bay. And it's like $10 a bag for Fresh oysters. Unbelievable. And you BYOB, you bring whatever rosé or whatever you want, and you say they're shucking oysters for like, I mean, I'm you're so full of salt water at the end, but like you spend $20 on fresh oysters and you just sit there and it's beautiful. And then you drive up the coast and try not to kill yourself on the way home. Oh, yeah. But oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah, better than like the fisherman's wharf. Yes. No, thank you. Yeah, no. I know. That is a tourist trap. It is. But the best for me is taking the ferry over to Alameda. And there is a, a, not abandoned, it's an old military base where Myth and Busters was actually filmed, if you remember that show. And there's, they like set up like some like small winery shops and the St. George Distillery is there, which is like the coolest place ever. It's an old airplane hangar and they just make the most beautiful spirits on the planet. I had very many a drunken days there. And you go on. It the, also sounds like maybe they have real spirits. So I am in. They do. This they sounds have very real, haunted. I mean, gin is like their like. Thing. No, I mean like ghosts. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, the, the ghosts like the gin. Yeah, so, of course. <laughs> they do not leave. But um, I remember they did like some sort of collaboration with Sierra Nevada, the beer. Oh. And we had a keg of Sierra Nevada and we're like shooting golf balls. I can't shoot. Whatever. Hitting <laughs> this distillery, like onto this abandoned Air Force base. It was just like the greatest place ever. But no, I mean, Napa's really beautiful. But I mean... It's it's touristy, it's expensive, it's it crowded. Is. But the Farmstead Restaurant, which is like on the ground floor in Rutherford, is one of the greatest restaurants I've Rutherford ever been to. Rutherford makes some gorgeous wines. Is that where Frog Sleep is from? Yes, which we also carry. 
You do? We do. My neighbors, shout out if they're listening to Woo-woo! Denise and Kevin. They had lovely wine nights at my old neighborhood and they, they were frog sleep members and they always had frog sleep. And so we grew to just like love it. Mm-hmm. Just amazing stuff. But oh, yeah. yeah. Rutherford County, I love. I'm trying to think of some other really great counties to like look for. Calisto. Calisto. Okay. Oh, love it. I love Alexandra Valley. Mm-hmm. I love Dry Creek Valley. Now they're coming to me. Zinfandel. Mm. I love a Zin. They're all very different, but I do love a Zin. I used to not like the ones that were like a little raisiny. Now I love them all. Oxidized. Yeah. As you get older, does your palate change? Because I feel like... Are you calling me old? Excuse no, me. I'm saying me. I'm old. <laughs> and maybe like, I feel like I like, I can tolerate different things than I used to. I don't know. I just think your palate evolves regardless, right? Sure. Like you just try new things and yeah, your palate just evolves. Right? Actually, my first... Actually, I take it back. Back it up. 10 years, <laughs> give or take. My first experience in the wine industry was... I don't know if you all know this, but I am Jewish. And I took my free trip to Israel when I was 24. And what, you called, just get one because you're Jewish? You just get one. What the fuck? I know. I'm Jewish. <laughs> so it's called Birthright. And really? Yep. And there, oh, yeah. It's awesome. So you can only do it from the time that you're 18 to 24. Four or 25. There's a time limit. Okay. Um, and basically, you either have to be Jewish, your parents have to be Jewish, or even your grandparents. Wow. So I went on this trip. It's two weeks long. It was like 12 days. It's all funded by the Israeli government and private donors. The whole point is they would like you to move to Israel. Oh, come to the homeland. Come to the come homeland. Come back home, Allie. Get married and breed and make more Jews. So that is like the ultimate goal of this trip without them actually saying that, right? That's so funny. I right? like, come to dinner. There's so many nice boys here. Absolutely, which is hilarious. So my stepbrother, so my mom is Jewish. My dad is not. Okay. My mom married a non-Jewish man because they're divorced. So her second husband. His first wife was Jewish, so his kids are Jewish. So my step-siblings are Jewish, and my step-brother actually met his wife on their birthright trip, and they're not married and just had a kid. Wow. All right? So you go there. It's one of the craziest places on the planet. And I, mean, I got to you know swim in the Dead Sea and float, oh but it was really God. cool. I went during Hanukkah, and the whole place was like decorated. I was like, whoa! Oh, I love that. Right? But it's so... <laughs> We were at the Salvation Army the other day because it's like the best place on the planet. Allie is the best thrift shopper. I love it. That song was written about her. She is popping tags every day of her life. Absolutely. Oh, God, I love it. I love using... I am like a person that... She doesn't buy clothes, everyone. (laughs) I don't buy clothes. She's against it. I don't buy anything, but it's like my job is to push more garbage on the planet, right? But as a human being, I try not to like... Yeah. You know. You're sustainable living. I'm trying. Not, Not well. But so Chris, my husband, was like... I have to show you something. Don't look. I was like, okay. And I closed my eyes. And he's like, look what I found. It was Kosher Land. So it was Candyland, the game. But Kosher <gasps> Land. No, where did he find that? It's the Salvation Army. That's amazing. Brand new, never used for the Jewish beginner child. And it's hilarious. Adorable. So, but Wait, I go. does Deanie celebrate? We call him Deanie, her son. He calls himself Deanie. Yeah. <laughs> Does he celebrate Hanukkah? So he celebrates everything. Oh, okay. well, right? he's winning. I'm just at saying. Life. I'm just saying. So Passover, Easter, Hanukkah, Christmas, what have he's you? He's got it all. He's got it all. He thinks presents are like every day at this point. I'm not kidding. <laughs> he's like, why am I not getting one today? Do you, honestly, the Amazon truck came by the other day. He goes presents, and then also, 
I, and then I said today, I was like, I smell a, pre- a presentation coming. He goes, you smell presents. I go, no. <laughs> but anyways, so I was in Israel and part of it was going to the Golan Heights winery. And I took this trip like a week before I started my job in the wine industry. So I go to the Golan Heights. They make Moscato. Moscato to me now is disgusting. I was like, mm-mm-mm, Moscato. Oh, I hate it. Oh, it's okay. terrible. It's basically like rotting grapes at it's this point. It's just so sweet. Yeah. It's like a beginner wine, though. That's how people get into wine. Yes. Um, it's like a, you know, the marijuana of wines. The, it's the gate drug. It's the gateway. <laughs> That's so funny. Then what is Riesling? Riesling is like a... Oh, no. So here's the thing about Riesling. Riesling is amazing. Amazing! Because 99% of Riesling that is made is dry. I mean, oh. bone dry. I only tasted the gross sweet Because ones. that's what they export. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. But Riesling has a lot of sugar and a lot of acidity, and it ages like crazy. Like, you can age it for 30, 40 years, some of these awesome Rieslings. Wow. And it is some of the most delicious wine on the planet. I love secret. it. We're letting you in on the secrets. Old Riesling. If you How find do you find it, an you old it. Riesling? It's hard because the perception is, right, fresh, vintage, sweet. Yeah. So that's generally what you see out there. And what they buy for people to buy? Yes. So it's hard, but some people carry it. You can find it. It's a good one. Binnie's is probably. Yeah, yeah. ask that question. I want some old dry Riesling. But it's hard for distributors to get it, right? Because people aren't exporting it. So it's hard. And actually, me and my husband, right before COVID, back in September, we went to Germany and I really wanted to see the Mosul Valley because I loved these old Rieslings. And I let him pick the place, which was stupid. Because it was like this cute little town, and they only sell the Rieslings that come from their area of Ugh. the Mosul Valley. Ugh, they were great garbage. Great job, Chris. But it was great. It was beautiful. Okay, so how can you tell if a wine has gone bad? Scott and I have this debate all the time. You'd think that I would be more accepting because I can't smell. But I swear, there are some, and I'm like, nope. And Scott goes, that's fine. I'm like, no, it shouldn't be like, it should be actually good. It shouldn't be like, that's fine. But you claim that you can definitely tell. Well, there's how do di- we know? Right. There's like varying degrees of bad, right? So there's corked wine. I remember we talked about it, remember? Yes. So like there's an actual, like the cork from the wine is tainted and it makes the wine bad, right? The wine itself wasn't bad, but the cork they put in it was bad. Yeah. And so it, it wasn't stored correctly. It's got no, a they, hole it's or... got, um, there's like a, I don't want to say it's a bacteria. That's not the word for it. Oh, that grows in the cork? Yes. Ooh, gross. So it's like, that's why everyone's gone to these Stelvin or screw caps, right? Because yeah. 99.9% of wine should never be aged. It's meant to be drank immediately and or within months, right? Um, you can actually age wines with screw caps, but that's like the whole thing going to that is like you're eliminating this one out of every 25 bottles are corked, right? And there's varying degrees of corked. And- but that's what creates this, like, gross wine. But there is okay. wine that goes past its prime, and it can taste oxidized or raisiny, right? It's just... Okay. Like um, a little sour, so if a little bit vinegar. vinegar yeah. Okay. If it's open too long, right? You take a yes. bottle of white wine, and you're like, 17 days I later. That, yeah. I've ordered sometimes a glass at a restaurant, and if they have too big of a wine list, and I know people aren't really drinking, and it's like... This one tastes bad. You need to open a new one. And I've done that. I'm like the bitch that will do that. And you should. Another reason I don't open or order, 
Yeah, because you know it's not going to be prime. Oh, yeah. Well, like, have you ever seen those things, like those pumps are like, and they're trying to pull the oxygen out to keep it from oxidizing? Okay. I mean, they kind of work. There's also, like, an actual, like, spray you put in there to keep it from oxidizing. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just trying to keep oxygen out of the bottle once it's open. Sure. But yeah, I mean, there's wines past their prime where it's like, oh, this was a $12 bottle. Let me age it for three years. Probably not a good idea. It's probably past its prime. Nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's going to lose all its fruit. It's going to lose it. Like, what makes a wine great is acidity. And once that's gone, you're done. And how can you tell when something is acidic? I mean, like like a lemon. Okay, like a lemon. Like a little bit of tang, brightness, maybe. Yeah, like that, like that pucker, right? Oh, cool. That's acidity. Okay. Um, and that's what makes it, and you could feel it like over your palate, right? Like it goes across your tongue. Like you feel the acidity or the tannins and like tannins are an actual like thing that attaches to proteins. And that's why people love calves with steak, right? Cause it actually attaches. You can feel it all over your tongue and like your teeth and let's try some Malbec. Let's I see. was just going to say that was going to be my next right? move. Yeah. Let's do the tannins. Let's see some now, tannins. Can you still do, it's the one pop I'm going to get on the audio. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> Can you still do red with, like, seafood and stuff, or does it just not balance well? Again, it's what you like, right? Yeah, because I can see, and I have done white with it, too, and it's good, but I just kind of, like, I love reds, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, there is no real rules, and if someone tells you, they suck. (laughs) If someone tells you what to do, they're lying. Yes, there's no, it's all just, you know. Right, so this is Catania. It's Catena. Catena. Um, I tried to make it Spanish. It's not. Argentinian. No. Yeah, it's Catena. 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 We're American. Did I give you enough? You did indeed. Um, and this like dates way, way, way back. This winery is in like 1902. Also same place from Chris, which is our in- internal importer. And actually like during COVID, Malbec went crazy. It sort of was huh. like on an outswing and then it like swung way up. Why was that? <laughs> Couldn't tell you. But breathe some life into Malbec. Yeah. Yeah, it is like a brighter red, right? Like other people who don't always just like the deep dark reds will do Malbec because it's a little brighter, a little more fun. Yeah, I mean, like, so try this wine. This has acidity. I mean, this is a very fresh, acidic wine, which is like a good indicator that if you didn't drink it in a year, it would still have some life to it, right? Okay. Yeah, I can feel it like all over my tongue. Yeah. And that's what that is. Interesting. And you, like, salivating, right? That's acidity. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know these things. I love this. (laughs) Like, that's what that is. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, just really beautiful wines. I mean, they have some higher-end wines. They have Chardonnay, Cabernet. I mean, this this is a really beautiful brand. And yeah, again, like, really well-priced wines that come out of South America. Like, this is like, I think you can get it at Costco for $16.99 or something. Really? Yeah. Oh, let's talk about it. Here, let me pull my winemaker notes. (laughs) Oh, please. The Catena Malbec 2018 presents a deep violet color with purple reflections. This microclimate blend of four, already sounds very fancy, (laughs) of four unique vineyards offers intense aroma, soft texture, I get that, and concentrated flavor. Deep aromas of ripe red and dark fruits are joined by delicate violet and lavender notes with traces of vanilla and mocha. A rich, concentrated mouthfeel is highlighted by flavors of blueberries and blackberries with a touch of leather and cinnamon. I love it when they, Elizabeth always says leather-bound books. <laughs> and so it's like, who is chewing leather? We, we don't eat lawns. We don't eat no. leather. We don't know. 
The wine has well-integrated tannins, there you go, bright acidity, and a flinty minerality. Mm. These are good freaking writers. Right? That provides <laughs> exceptional length to the finish. The fictional Again, the finish. writing of wine. I uh, know, it is. It's like writing a fictional novel. Right? Well, it's so funny. So if you ever watched that documentary called Sam, one of the, yes, the guys. I'm not going to ruin the end too for you because it's very intense. Okay. Um, but the one who's like the most intense always says like, it smells like a freshly opened can of tennis balls. Like, that's a descriptor for him. That's hilarious. And it's like, but it's, that's not going to go on the label. No. No. Let's talk seriously. <laughs> but it's so funny. So, like, after I saw that movie, and it was, like, a huge thing. Well, I mean, obviously, in the industry it was probably more so than the rest of the world. But it really put a spotlight on Master Sollier's. And actually, my boss at the time had just – he was actually – part of that class that passed and there's this one scene where they like take a picture of the the candidates and he's like smack dab in the like the middle Aww. it was hilarious he's like don't mention it <laughs> i don't talk about it but i remember watching it and then the guy with the tennis balls ended up walking into my office because it's a very small group of men for the most part sure but there was a whole scandal you should look into too as well a couple of years ago there was this big scandal that they had the highest passing class it was like 30 people it was like insane so if you're part of this guild, you have to be part of the testing process at some point. You have to like volunteer and be part of the whole community. Um, and one of them had given away answers. <gasps> and what was the most heartbreaking was not everybody cheated, but everybody had to retake this exam. Even the ones that had passed like on their own merits, right? Oh my God. Huge scandal. Huge. Yeah. But yeah, tennis balls. And how many women are in that graduating class? I've never met a woman master som. Even at a restaurant, a som. Can I just a regular som? Yeah. Yeah. So there's levels, right? So there's a lot more sommeliers than master sommeliers. It's very low. I think out of like the 130, 150, whatever the actual number is now, women-wise, 10, 15 maybe of that. And if you look at probably the years that they pass, it's all very recent. I just wonder why that is. Because it seems... Let's talk like neighborhood picnic, right? Or like people coming. The boys are drinking beer and the girls are more likely to drink wine. So why? And actually women have better palates and better... Uh, better everything? Better everything. Their their taste <laughs> and their smell is better. Wow. Like genetically. I'll tell you why. Another scandal recently. So there was this huge scandal of men at the top. So these women had to do X, Y, and Z to get their names on these lists to take these exams. Oh, I did hear about this scandal. Mm-hmm. And the guy at I the top... I think there is a show about it. Well, not about this, but this is like very similar. Okay. But the, what's what the worst part about it is the guy at the top was the wine buyer for the country for Whole Foods and is <gasps> still on the payroll. This is wild. Right? The wine industry. <laughs> God, I, I mean, there is a thing like... We try to promote a lot of female podcasters. It's just funny how it it's still so backwards, you right? know? Well, it's not Same my thing industry with the wine, right? Like, yeah, and so me, it's just crazy that there's not more or that it's not, like, equal. Women who are listening to this, our mom community, what are some brands that are definitely worth, like, searching out that maybe aren't super typical, but you're like, oh, if you can find this, you can find this maybe just at the jewel or you can find this. Like, what are some, and you know, they can be wine bow. <laughs> <laughs> no, again, it's like, I don't know, like brand wise. I will say that the landscape of what you can find in the market now kind of sucks. 
Okay. So it's all driven by what's called Nielsen or IRI data. So huh. generally speaking... Nielsen like the TV survey. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And But they do it for wine. No. So basically it's like what's running through the register across the country. And that's what these majority of chains buy from, right? It's like, well, this is what's hot. This is what's doing really well. This is what I want in my set as opposed to like, this tastes great. And this is what I want my customers to buy, right? Okay. You know, Binney still has a really good selection. There's, you know, unfortunately with the prices and it's all about, uh, what's the economic term for buying a lot for a little? It's been a long time since I was in Econ 101. <laughs> I really don't right, know. Right, but when you buy more of something, you get a, a surplus. Price. No, no, it'll come to me. But yeah, when you buy more, you get a better price. And so unfortunately, like not just wine, in anything, you go to some sort of independently locally owned, it's going to cost more, right? Okay. But yeah, if you go to any like independent wine shop, you're probably going to find something really awesome that you can't find in a grocery chain or even a Binnie's sometimes. Because again, they're still a business and they're trying sure. to you know buy for things. So the small independent wineries or wine shops you promote. Absolutely. I mean, if you're yeah. looking for something different, you're going to pay more, yes, but you're probably going to find something you can't find elsewhere. And I don't know about brands. There's so much wine in the market, right? Even from when I started 10 years ago, like an insane amount of wine. Is just yeah. imported. But yeah, I just, I think, and I don't even want to say a brand, right? Because if you like a red wine and you don't like white, I'm like, go look for that Sancerre because it's super awesome. Yeah. You might not want it. I've done a lot of wine tastings in my day, like where I'm like pouring for people. And it's never about the most expensive. It's just about what your palate is. Yeah. And so if you can actually talk to somebody about what you like and they can recommend something, that's the best thing to look for. Right? Yeah. Like, I like this. This is my price range. This is what you should buy. And that's really, like, that's the best for you. It's not some certain brand. Because I could say whatever, but if you don't like super tannic red wines, you're not going to care what I have to say. Sure. So are there little wine shops around here that you think are just, like, super local gems? Yeah. Dude, the wine exchange is awesome. You love the wine exchange? I love okay, that that's place. what I was looking for. Yeah. like Absolutely. And their wine dinners. I know you went to one for Paul oh, Hobbs, which amazing. is like, was it Paul Hobbs, right? Yes. Oh my God, those wines are great. But yeah, wine exchange is awesome. Um, But yeah, okay, so wine exchange, great options there in St. Charles, Illinois. Do you like any of the little ones along the path in Geneva, like that have kind of their own? Yeah, what's the, what is it called? It's called the Geneva Wine, not the Geneva Winery, it's the Geneva Wine Cellar? Okay, yes. And let me tell you something about them, is they have a great amount of super dry reds, and people don't think that because a lot of ones on 3rd Street are very fruit forward, more like local wines, and the Geneva Wine Cellar, the underground one in the Berry House on 3rd yes. Street, has some amazing selection. And they're yeah. so nice. And they have a back room. It's like underground. It's yes. like a tunnel. And it's very cool. And you they know what? They music have... too. And gosh, the owner, she's super sweet. So yeah, moms, you can go there. It's cool. That place is awesome. And the Geneva Beer Cellar, which is on State Street. Yes. I don't know if they, they have a little bit of wine. Do they? And they actually have a bar in there, which is really nice because you can taste, especially whiskey. I didn't know this. It's right next to where I get my brows done. Yes. That's a good place. Okay. I dig it. See, I like this. Now, what are some typical brands? Let's say I'm going to Jewel or Costco for bread, butter, and cereal or whatever. And what are some typical brands that maybe are worth picking up? I really like Han. 
Yes. Maybe a bit of a plug here. But I do really oh, like you it. you Right? Okay. I do. It's a really good wine for the it price. Is. And honestly, when I came over, I was like, what? It's like $12.99? It's awesome. Mm-hmm. They do some really good things. I don't know. Again, it's like, I don't want to say you'll like a wine because I don't know what people like. You know? What's a good standard white? A good standard white. Chardonnay? What's a good Chardonnay that's pretty standard, but you can look for that? Like, let's say me. Okay, so I'm serving dinner. I'm not a white wine drinker. I need to buy a good Chardonnay that people will like, but I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what, actually? And it's a little bit of a higher price point, but the Cross Barn from Paul Hobbs, their Chardonnay, the Sonoma Chardonnay, is amazing. A lot of Paul Hobbs is amazing. Oh, God. they're Honestly, like, it's, I don't love it. I can't get it. that at Jewel. Uh, yes, they can. I can? Yes, they can. Paul Hobbs, Cross Barn. Yeah, so it's not under Paul Hobbs. It's like, it's... Cross barn by Paul Hobbs. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, their Chardonnay is really beautiful. Like nice acidity, not over oaked, really fresh. I love an unoaked Chardonnay. Yes. Like in those, what, steel barrels instead of oak. Stainless steel, yep. Yeah, if you yeah. don't, if you are a person like me who tends to like red and you want to go white because it's hot in the summer. Right. And unoaked anything gives you, like it takes away that tinge of... Yes, it's a little bitter that's shaved off when you don't have the oak. Mm-hmm. Which is actually the opposite. Usually the oak sort of like... <laughs> Usually people don't that. like that. Like if you see like, for example, I think the Katana said it, uh, like vanilla. Uh-huh. Like if you see like a vanilla uh, descriptor, that's the oak that's giving it that. Oh, yes. The aged barrels. But it depends. So like you can't even oak age white or red, but if it's used oak... It doesn't necessarily have that like oaky flavor. It just sort of rounds out a wine. And you can even see a lot of times they're like one third new oak, one third second use, one third third use. And that's talking about the barrels. It's talking about the barrels. And it's all about like, yeah, wow. just like softening out the wine and sort of rounding it out. And I, But yeah, stainless steel wines, I mean, they're always like more fresh and bright and acidic, right? Because it doesn't have that oak to sort of like mute some of that. It all, huh. yeah, it just depends. It just And that's the thing. It's like, I can't even say that as like an overarching thing because it just depends on the winemaker and the wine and what they're doing and it's like there's so many variables it's almost impossible to say like this is it right <laughs> it's so funny it's like reading or tv it's like no actually what do you like like yeah. what's your genre <laughs> what because you might not want to watch this thing that everyone else likes right like yeah. do tell okay so let's end it on a dream if you're going to take a wine trip portugal Okay, why Portugal? I just want to go to Portugal. It looks so beautiful. because oh, you haven't been. But Portugal, so they have red wines, they have white wines, but like port is the big thing that comes out oh, of Portugal. Oh, which is so fun in the winter. Let's talk about port. The big port houses are actually owned by very wealthy English families. That's so funny. like you're in the middle of Portugal and they have their own trains that come up to these like port houses and you roll up and they're like, would you like some tea? Oh my God, that was not an English accent, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And... <laughs> Good try. It was terrible. Um, but yeah, it's like you walk into England when you walk into like these porthouses. But oh my God, it just looks so beautiful. I don't even care about the wine. I just want to go. It looks beautiful. Yeah. It looks awesome. Well, this is fun. <laughs> I feel like I've, I mean, is there anything we didn't cover that like people should know? Drink more. <laughs> just drink more. It's so Mostly fun. my brands, but drink more. <laughs> Mostly my brands. <laughs> and where can we find your Winebow brands? Everywhere. 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 And what can we follow? Do you guys have an Instagram, a Facebook, a Twitter? Winebow does have an Instagram. However, legally speaking, you can't promote like where something is, but you can promote brands and things like that. 
Winebow, Illinois, and Winebow. And actually, my friend Chi-Town Sam. Oh, I do the, follow, yeah. He did the uh, Chicago wine tasting that I went to, the Paul Hobbs one. He yes. is, he follows Winebow, Illinois. All right, so if you want to follow Winebow, you can find him on Instagram. I'll tag them in the post, and we will tag these wines, and they're lots of fun. Yeah, drink more at the end. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Moms, I this is your permission. More. Buy more. <laughs> Buy more, support <laughs> Ellie's livelihood so she can make the trip to Portugal. Pay my mortgage, whatever. <laughs> hey, here's to you. Here's to us. Here's to mom. Cheers. Come sip with us again. <laughs>